Good morning, and welcome. I'm Reverend Patrick Cameron, and it is my pleasure and honor to be with you today. So uh, I'm going to uh, sing a song that many of you know, so please join in. And um, in the past, I've asked people to stand with me. What I was informed of last week is that I suggested we put our hands over our hearts to feel our heartbeat, but I'm told Canadians don't do that, only Americans. So... What I'm going to invite you to do, if you'd like to stand up and sing with me, is put your hands wherever you'd like to put them. As long as it's appropriate, you know what I mean. All right, so let's sing. That's it. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So let's come together in the remembrance of this one activity, this one power. And so we choose in this moment the power for good and claim it as our own. And so what I know in this moment as I engage in that activity, I allow that vibration of the Most High to move in and through and as me wherever there is any imbalance within my physical or spiritual or emotional being I call for that dynamic peace clarity wisdom and grace I know that right here and right now everything necessary for each and every one of us to move forward dynamically and beautifully as God's emissary on this planet at this point in time is revealed and made clear resource supplied and celebrated Our success is preordained in the mind of the one and so we call it forth in our consciousness to let it reflect and reveal itself in our experience, this thing we call life. And so I just give thanks for our gathering today, our musicians, our fellowship, the consciousness that collectively is such a beautiful, sweet place to be. I give thanks for the joy, the possibility, the creativity that finds its way by means of each and every one of us. For this I give thanks and more. Together we say... And so it is. Thank you. So we have been uh, using the alchemists over the last several weeks to uh, move our conversation forward by Paulo Coelho. So if you're here for the first week, there are bits and pieces. I'll do my best to catch you up throughout the, uh, what you may have missed. One of the wonderful things about this book that I find, and I've read it several times over the last month or two because I've been going back over it and back over it looking for the 
the, the pearls in there, and there's a, there's a bunch of them in this book, is that um, it lines up so beautifully with our teaching. It line, lines up so beautifully with what we teach and the metaphors and the examples of what happens there. One of the wonderful things that, that is articulated early on in the book is that there's one great truth on this planet. One great truth on this planet. That who you are, whatever you do, when you really want something, it's because that desire originated in the soul of the universe. And so Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, used to talk about divine discontent. He used to talk about the idea that you could not have the desire if it didn't already exist. So in other words, the things that you long to experience already exist in the mind of the one. Well, that all ideas are already created. So in other words, electricity has been around for you know, millions of years before it was discovered. And so you know, the combustion engine is, is around now, and we all know about that and what that what that uh, entails but so what is the next idea that's so waiting for a, a place waiting for a place to land and so it's that it's that mystical tradition it's that uh, being open and receptive to the next best idea so to realize our destiny is our only obligation <clears throat> to realize our destiny and destiny is not preordained we make it up as we go it's the only way we can do it you can't it's not as if we show up and then automatically uh, things unfold without our participation because things are unfolding. That's why, that's why prophecy is, you know, you can read anything into prophecy, but we're creating all the time. That's why it's difficult to say it's going to be this, it's going to be that because we're always subject to changing our minds. When we change our minds, we change our opinions, and we not only change them and keep them changed, the experience changes. That's the exciting part of being alive right now. It's, we're not stuck with any condition in our lives. We have facts in our lives right now, but it doesn't mean we're stuck with that. And so for all of us, this, you know, through the alchemists, are we, are we listening and paying attention to the most favorable conversations that are going on? Because there's many conversations that go on. There's conversations that go on with one another that we overhear. There's conversations that we hear through media. And there's conversations also that go on in your, in your head. Has anybody ever had that experience except me? <laughs> but, you know, but we're inundated with information. And so to, to be discerning and decide, I'm going I'm to follow this path, I'm going to move in that direction is I think part of mastering life and life's energies and directing them. So the things that uh, Santiago revealed in this story as he moved along was there's qualities that he incorporated into his journey that we see so beautifully articulated in this, this, this book. If he started listening. He started having a recurring dream. And the recurring dream led him to certain teachers and mentors along the way that provided him with clues and an opportunity to move forward. So paying attention is really important in life. Have you noticed? Because if you don't pay attention, things happen. And you say, gee, I didn't even know that was happening. And, and then you're off fixing something, or repairing something, or paying a traffic fine, or whatever it may be. Did I tell you, I probably should tell that story again. When Laura and I first came to town, we, no one told us that they have a thing in Edmonton called photo radar. And so every week I'm getting a letter from this company that says I owe them money. I'm, what is this all about? And there's a picture of my license plate. Yeah, that's my truck. Yeah. And part of it, I, I, no excuses, but part of it is we came with cars that are made in America, so 30 miles an hour and 30 kilometers are different. You know what I mean? <laughs> so finally the mailman came to me one day and he said, Hey, look, buddy, when you see a van on the side of the road, slow down. I said, Oh, that's where they are. So... We figured it out. It took us a while, but we figured it out. 
So paying attention is, is important in observing, as uh, Santiago points out, observing the omens and the, dream, the dreams and, and all of the things that we're being informed by. Just like this feather up here this morning that young lady talked about. You know, the omens that show up in our lives, the, the synchronicity of life. I had probably just intuitive hits this week of about five or six people that I haven't seen in a long time, and I thought, oh yeah, I'll see them Sunday. And sure enough, I'm, people are showing up. And, I, and it's not... I, you know, it just, it just sort of shows up randomly. I mean, I couldn't make a living doing that. You know, if somebody would pay me for it, I'd probably give it a shot. But, but it's just very interesting because I'll think of someone sort of not connected with any thought process and I'll, oh yeah, I'll see him on Sunday. It's very interesting how that works. So uh, setting out. So Santiago figures out what he wants. He knows there's a treasure in store and he's going to go find his treasure. And so we set, we set out. We do that every day. You set out to come here. You know, your adventure coming here. And... Good on you. You all made it for the most part. Or we don't know who didn't make it, do we? So I guess congratulations. And those that didn't make it here today, we know they're in the right and perfect place as well. But we all set out. We do that each day in, in some capacity. And so Santiago did that. He set an intention. He's going to find his treasure. He's going to do whatever it takes. But when we set out and we decide we're going to step out into the wilderness, because that's truly the wilderness, because you haven't been there before and you don't know it. So he travels to a foreign country and he doesn't speak the language. And all that stuff creates vulnerability. That's why it's so bloody uncomfortable to go on the journey because we become vulnerable. And in his vulnerability, things, are, things happen to him. He loses his money. He has to go work for some guy that he doesn't know. But through that whole process of, of discovery, he finds things out about himself. And, he, and he, he develops skills and abilities that he hadn't even thought about and didn't even know he had. And so the discovery of the gifts and talents are really important. That's part of the gift of the journey. And then to be flexible and open. Because we have to be teachable. We have to be open and receptive. Otherwise, we close down. We decide, this is it. This is my destination. And uh, I'm not going, you know, you can't move me. I shall not be moved. And we all know that position because we've all taken it at times in our lives. It's just the way it works. So as Santiago's moving along, he, one of the, uh, he's, he's now, to catch you up with the story, he's had a, a variety of adventures, but he's, he's uh, lost and regained a fortune. He's learned to listen closely to the desert. He's learned to listen to his heart. And it's, it's interesting, early on in the story, he talks about listening to the heart, how important it is to listen to the heart. And as he starts to realize when, when the heart is truly talking to him, because there's so much chatter that goes on for so many of us, and we can get into that, but to really listen deeply. Dr. Holmes used to say, when deep calls unto deep, deep listens, deep answers. And so he's having that deep conversation with his heart, and he's starting to understand the language of the heart. And the heart says, yeah, do you remember... Do you remember when you were a young boy and you took your father's rifle and I hid it from you? Now the heart talking to him, I hid it from you so that you wouldn't hurt yourself or another person. He goes, I do remember that. I couldn't figure out where it went. And he said, do you remember the time that you got violently ill and you were throwing up and you were so weak you couldn't take your, your sheep to the next destination so you just lied down and rested? And he said, I do remember that. And he said, because there were thieves that were waiting for you that knew you were coming and were going to kill you and steal your sheep. So it's a wonderful example of how things can happen to us that don't seem advantageous at the time, but that there's a, a reason for them. And so I think that there is a, I think if we knew how much we're loved and supported unconditionally by this infinite intelligence, then the synchronicities of life, the delays and the disappointments would start to make more and more sense to us. Sometimes the delays are important because the consciousness isn't there yet. And so it's just important to work with oneself in a way that is, it, it is calm and assertive to understand that this, everything, everything in the universe is happening for me, despite what it looks like. 
A couple weeks ago, um, I talked to you about, if you were here, I shared the story that someone had gone, someone had slashed two of my truck tires in the alley behind my house. And so, you know, I thought a lot about it, and, and actually I came out, and Laura's tires, her, hers were still full of air, so I slashed one of hers so she could join it with me. And the, I, no, I didn't really do that, but, but uh, you know, at the time we thought, geez, I wonder who that is, who did that, you know? And then we found out it was just some guy that had gone up and down the alley, or several people, who knows, that had slashed a bunch of tires, which in a very strange way was a relief to me because I knew it wasn't personal. But the point being is that within that, what, what's happening there? What's unfolding in that experience? Because perhaps it was time for us just to be together in some capacity. Maybe there was a conversation or a sentence that we shared as a result of that. Whatever it was, I just trust in this process. And I know there was something of value that, that was unfolding there. And so, uh, of course, there's that, the part of it that's quite random and, and nasty, because that's a, just a nasty thing to do, you know, randomly do that. But, but at a certain level, and now that I'm farther away from it, I can look at it, because when it happens, you're very disappointed, to say the least. So things happen. Things show up. And I think if we're listening and paying attention, the right things show up, always. Always the right thing. My declaration is the right things are always happening for the greatest good. And I, and I look for those things in my environment. And then I pull them out. I extract them. So I started, I told the story at the um, first service. And I started out by saying that Santiago and the alchemist have teamed up. And they're, they're getting close to the pyramids. He's been told in his dreams to seek the pyramids. And so I, I described this as three armed tribesmen showed up. And a woman said to me, was that a tribesman with three arms? No. That was three guys with two arms each. Just so there's no <laughs> confusion about that. Isn't it amazing how closely people listen? It's like, what do you mean three-armed tribesmen? Well, okay. It's remarkable. So three different guys showed up with two arms each. And they all had weapons on, you know what I mean? Okay. And so... They searched them. They, they, they told them to get off their horses and they're, they're going to search Santiago and the alchemist. And the alchemist has this alchemy stuff with him. And they find this, this, this yellow egg, this shaped object, and they find this flask of elixir. And, he's, and the, the, the three-armed tribesmen say, what is this? And he says, well, that's the philosopher's stone and the elixir of life. And they said, well, what good is that? And he said, well, the mas- that's the masterworks of the alchemist. And whoever drinks the elixir will never be sick again. And, who, and you can take a, a, a fragment of that piece of egg and you can mix it with base metals like iron and it'll turn it into gold. And they <laughs> look at him and just laugh. Yeah, right. So they tell him to get lost. They, give, they, don't, they don't steal anything from him. They just say, leave. And so the young Santiago says, the alchemist, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? These guys could kill us. And you're, and you're telling them exactly what you have. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, when you possess great treasures within you and try to tell others of them, seldom are you believed. Have you had that experience? <laughs> you know, when you have a friend that's struggling and you say, you know, you are caused your own experience, which uh, <laughs> Gans has done that, yeah. <laughs> and they laugh. Oh, you got to be kidding. Because life looks so random. Does not life look, look random to you? When you look out in the world and see what's happening, doesn't it look just completely random? You know, 50-50? Flip a coin a hundred times? It looks completely random. And, and the reason for that is that most people live their lives by the law of probability. 
They don't live their lives with intention. They don't get up each morning and say, you know what, today, this is my intention, this is what I, I've made a declaration to do, and then take the action to, to back up the, the intention. Most people don't do that. I think more people do it now than ever before, because even outside of our tradition, I mean, this is really about, you know, this is really about uh, coaching skills and personal discipline and those things. So there's a variety of that out there, you know, to re realize your dream, and you can take, you know, various classes and workshops and support to support those ideas. So it's not unique to us, but many people live their lives randomly. And even with the information, continue to live their lives randomly. So part of the process of what we do here is to find ways through spiritual practice to snap us out of those moments when we fall into those repetitive patterns that aren't productive. So we need something that'll, that'll, that'll bring us back into, um, into that, God, that God oneness, that Godhead, when we start to worry, when we start to, to fret, when we start to pour all of our energy into something that's, that's not taking us in the direction we want to go. So when it starts to happen, we have to have somebody to sort of slap their hands and snap us out of it. There's just got to be something in our lives, a spiritual practice, remembering. And the journey is remembering, and, and my journey has been that I remember sooner rather than later now. But when you, create, when you possess great treasures within you and try to tell others of them, seldom are you believed. So they move along and they're captured. Now, and, they, and there's, there's tribal warfare going on in the, in the desert near the pyramid. So they, they move on and all of a sudden they come to another encampment. And they're brought in and the chief says to them, you're spies. He said, we're not spies. The alchemist says, we're not spies. He said, yes, you are. Some of my scouts saw you talking to those other um, uh, combatants a week ago. And we know you're spying. And he says, no, 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 we're not spying. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, this young boy right here, he's an alchemist. And Santiago looks at him and says, I'm a what? And he says, this young man's an alchemist, and he can turn himself into the wind. And Santiago's heart's just beating through his chest. What is this crazy man telling him? He says, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, you just, you, you watch. This young man will turn himself into the wind. And Santiago's in a panic. So the chief says, okay, I tell you what, he's got three days to turn himself into the wind. Otherwise, I'm going to kill you both. So the gift in this is the alchemist says to him, is that usually the threat of death makes people a lot more aware of their lives. <laughs> Would you not agree? I have found that to be very true. And so Santiago starts to have a, a mystical conversation. He, he realizes that all of the journey that has brought him to this point, and this opportunity is also necessary for him to listen deeply and to listen closely. And so he starts to talk to the desert. And he, he's contemplating, and he says to the desert, look, he says, I have found the love of my life. So I need help here. I need help because I want to get back to the love of my life. I don't want to be killed. And I haven't a clue how I turn myself into the wind. And so the, the, this, this deep conversation, deep starts calling unto deep, and there's a conversation in, in reflection that requires great solitude of listening and asking the questions. And, and as Dr. Holmes used to say, that, it's, that uh, intuition is the, the realization without mental process. So Santiago enters into this conversation because now he must. And so the desert says, we'll talk to the sand. And he has a conversation with the sand. And the sand says, well, I can help you with part of this, but you need to talk to the wind. He has a conversation with the wind. And the wind says, well, you know, you better check with the sun. So we'll, they're all in, in, in concert eventually. And all of a sudden, the wind starts blowing. And it blows the tents away, and it blows the horses away, and it blows in all the weapons that these combatants have are full of sand. And so as a result, they are set free. They're, they're free to go on their journey. 
But all of this is part of the mastery of intention. All this is the mastery of that conversation. So it's a wonderful metaphor for us as metaphysicians, as practical mystics of what the possibilities are when we're willing to be open and vulnerable and listen. And so they, they move on. And what Santiago reflects, he learned from this experience with the wind blowing and blowing and blowing. And, and they, you know, they believe as they, they're leaving the encampment, the, the uh, army believes this young boy is a sorcerer. And they're quite awed and intimidated by him now. But Santiago realizes that the world is only the visible aspect of spirit. What alchemy does is bring spiritual perfection into contact with material planes. What alchemy does is, is takes the unknown and brings it into form. It's the transformation of the ordinary into something extraordinary. He even asked the alchemist at one point in time, because he watches him, at one point the, the alchemist takes a slice of little, a hair, they say it's a, the, the width of a hair uh, from the egg, and he places it in with the iron, and he creates this, he creates gold. And he divvies it up, and he gives Santiago one piece, and he gives one to a monk, says, hang, it on to, hang on to it for this kid, he might need it later. And then he gives a couple to uh, the uh, place where they're camped. To, uh, but anyway, he split it in fours. But he created this gold. And he said to uh, the, the alchemist, or Santiago asked the alchemist, will I ever do that? And he said, no, yeah, that's not your personal legend. Your personal legend is something different. Your personal legend is something unique and special to you, which is, is, is nice to know because all of us have gifts, but our gifts aren't somebody else's gifts. Our gifts are all unique and different, and we all find them in our own unique and wonderful way. And we all listen differently. We all learn differently. We all, you know, the language of love is different for all of us. You know, for some it's the physical touch. For some, in terms of the language of love, it's gifts. For some, it's, it's you know, there's a variety of them. I think there's, I don't know, five or six of them. Somebody gave me a book on it, and one day I will read it. But I did see the, the language of love. But we all do it differently. The other thing that Santiago realizes is that each thing has to transform itself into something better and to acquire a new personal legend until someday the soul of the world becomes only one thing. So our journey is endless. It's not about reaching a certain destination, a certain realization. It's simply, that's more. It's both and. It's the journey. It's the continued revelation. So it, it, it never ends, which is kind of fun. Because if you know you're in it and you start to play in life, then all of it is sort of a joy. Even though sometimes it's sorrowful, even though sometimes there's times to mourn, there's passing of friends, loved ones, employment, whatever it may be. But all of that is required. That's that ongoing journey. And to be flexible with that and to understand, okay, then I have my time there is over, whatever it may be. And what can I bring to the new situation? What have I given birth to? Rather than recreate the same thing over and over again. We're always in creation. Most people create the same thing over and over again. Most people get so fixated on what's been successful in their lives, their, their entire energy just simply goes into creating more and more of the same. You see it in films. You know, what is it, Rocky Nine now? You know? <laughs> you see it in books. The author, the, the publisher, wants the next bestseller, but let's just rewrite the one last year. Very similar, but we'll change a few things. So new ideas are rare and unique and wonderful. And when I talk about giving birth to the new consciousness... I think that that is our opportunity because really everything springs forth from consciousness. So when we are giving birth to that consciousness, and we don't have to know what it is sometimes. We just need to call it forth in our experience to be that container. See, we're here as, as the representative of the infinite. And if we call it forth, then things start showing up. But as, as soon as different things start showing up, if we get worried and nervous and shut it down, it'll just say, okay, we'll shut it down. 
Because it's always agreeing. It is impersonal and it always says yes. Another discovery that Santiago made is that when we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better too. Dr. Holmes said it another way, there's no private good. When we strive to be better than we are, everything around us becomes better. Your health, your prosperity, your creativity, your gifts to the world are all of our gifts. And so to judge others, to watch somebody drive down the street and judge them for how they're dressed or what they're driving or whatever it is, just creates separation. That success is my success. See, when I watch the Olympics, I don't care who's... I'm really... You know, you keep track of the medals. We just had the Olympics, but who cares? It's, it's the human spirit conquering their own limitations. I mean, it's just beyond these levels of, of politics and nation. It's the human spirit thriving. And excelling, and that's exciting. So I just I, I love to step into that energy and say, "Wow, isn't it amazing?" I still remember that Romanian woman that won the the women's the, the ca, um, uh, marathon. She was amazing. She was no, she wasn't a spring chicken either. She was 38 or something, but she just flew, and she was just amazing and incredible. But what an inspiration! So we nourish by who and what we are. We nourish the soul of the universe. And the world is better or worse depending on how we nourish it, how we touch it, how we think about it, how we respond to it. Sacred space is only sacred if we, we bring that intention with us. So Santiago, through this experience with the wind and through seeking his, uh, his treasure, re reached through the soul of the world and he saw that it was a part of the soul of God. See, it's all connected. It's just semantics. The Hindus do that. They have, a, you know, they have several hundred names for... God, but they don't have several hundred gods. They just identify each quality of the infinite. And so he reached through the soul of the world and saw that it was a part of the soul of God and saw that the soul of God was his own soul. I mean, isn't this exciting? Isn't it fun to be able to come together and be reminded of this? Oops, got that hand on my heart there. But that, that to be reminded of this, that, that we are... We are the um, we are God's soul. We are the infinite soul. We are spirit soul. Whatever word you want to use, this divine intelligence. Because God can be a limitation for, for people. But don't let that word get in the way of what's intended here. That we are that representation, each and every one of us. The world would not be the same without your vibration on the planet right now. And as your vibration and my vibration become more refined and more fine-tuned to that, that, that's when the magic can happen. That's when the wonder and the magic can happen. And it doesn't mean that we don't do the things that we want to do. We, we prepare our meals. We, we do our laundry. We, we do our work. All those things. But the sum total of the energy that goes into that as we move along and we become more available and more complete as an expression of that, then life is just wondrous and beautiful. And then you're always looking out and saying, wow, look at what's showing up. Look at what's showing up. So it's, a, it's an exciting time to be alive. It's, just, it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to speak freely about these ideas, to live in a culture where we can share these ideas and, and give birth to the consciousness. And it's a, it's a charge that we've been given. In the beginning of the textbook, of the Science of Mind textbook, it says, we are the people and now is the time. We are the people and now is the time. So are we listening? Are we paying attention? In the, there's, a, there's a story in the book. If you've read it, you know it. 
And uh, it's a story of, it comes from, from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to read it to you, share it with you, because I think it's a wonderful example of how we take that old story that we've all grown up with, or many of us have grown up with, I used to find the page here, and, and, and how we interpret that, because we, we are all, I mean, I was exposed to the Christian tradition and the Gospels. And so, the last thing that the alchemist shares with Santiago before he leaves, he said this, I want to tell you a story about dreams, said the alchemist. And the boy brought his horse closer. He said, in ancient Rome, in, in the times of Emperor Tiberius, there lived a good man, and he had two sons. One was in the military and had been sent to the most distant region of the empire, and the other son was a poet and delighted all of Rome with his beautiful verses. And one night the father had a dream. An angel appeared to him and told him, that the words of one of his sons would be learned and repeated throughout the, fall, the world for all generations to come. The father woke with his dream grateful and crying, from his dream grateful and crying because life was generous and had revealed to him something any father would be proud to know. Shortly thereafter, the father died and as, he, as he tried to save a child who was about to be crushed by the wheels of a chariot. And since he had lived his entire life in a manner that was correct and fair, he went directly to heaven. So he shed the body, and, and let's not get back into this mindset of we all, you know, we don't know what it is, but it's ongoing. So heaven is just a metaphor for shedding the body and moving on in spirit. Where he met the angel that had appeared in, in his dream. You were always a good man, the angel said to him. You lived your life in a loving way and died with dignity. And I, and I want to grant you a wish, any wish you would like. And so the man said, life was good to me. And when you appeared in my dream, I felt that all my efforts had been rewarded because my son's poems will be read by men for generations to come. And I don't want anything for myself, but any father would be proud for the fame achieved by one whom he cared for as a child and educated as he grew up. Sometime in the distant future, I'd like to see my son's words. And so the angel transports him to the future. And he says, there's an immense setting... There's an immense setting surrounded by thousands of people speaking a strange language. And the man started to weep. He said, I knew that my son's poems were immortal, he said to the angel through his tears. Can you please tell me which of his poems these people are repeating? And the angel came closer to the man and with tenderness led him to a bench nearby where they sat down. The verses your son, who was the poet, were very popular in Rome, the angel said. Everyone loved him and enjoyed them. But when the reign of Tiberius ended, his poems were forgotten. And the words you're hearing now are those of your son in the military. The man looked at the angel in surprise. Your son went to serve at a distant place and became a centurion. He was a just and good man. And one afternoon, one of his servants fell ill, and it appeared that he would die. Your son had heard of a rabbi who was able to cure illness. And he rode out for days and days in search of the man. And along the way, he learned that the man he was seeking was the son of God. He, went, he, he met others who had been cured by him and they instructed your son in the, in the man's teaching. And so despite the fact he was a Roman centurion, he converted to their faith. Shortly thereafter, he reached the place where the man he was looking for was visiting. He told the man that one of his servants was gravely ill and the rabbi made ready to go to his house with him. But the centurion was a man of faith. And looking into the eyes of the rabbi, he knew that he was surely in the presence of the Son of God. And this is what your son said, the angel told the man. These are the words he said to the rabbi at that point, and they have never been forgotten. My Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. So when I was young and I was told this story, what I thought was, here's this Jesus, and Jesus is God's son, and so Jesus healed. That's what he did. 
But if you look closely at this story, see, if, if Jesus just showed up to heal, why didn't he just snap his fingers and everybody was healed? Why didn't he just say, oh, there's, there's suffering and poverty and he was unconditionally loving? Because what it required was agreement. And what, and, and what happened here was not so much the, 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 the consciousness of Jesus, although it was a huge part of it because he was that clear hollow vessel of divine awareness. He saw the perfection in all of life. That was his gift. So what we teach as practitioners, when you come in to do practitioner work with someone here and you start to tell them the story, the, 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 the training that they've gone through is, is not to get into agreement with the story, but simply to let you pour it out so that, that can, you, you can move that aside and now we can look at the new idea. That's, that's horrific what happened, we're sorry that happened, or whatever it may be, whatever's appropriate. But where would you like to go now? Because this is the moment of creativity, this is the moment of possibility. So within the centurion's mind, there was a, a knowing that, he, he, that grew in him about the possibility of healing and his belief. Jesus, the teacher Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm so clear about this that the healing is done. He realized that your faith has made this happen. And so it, it lines up beautifully with what we teach. It's not another's faith. It's our faith. It's our knowing. It's our clarity. It's our consciousness. It's our certainty. And it was a, a beautiful observation for Santiago to hear that. That we're not dependent, our good is not dependent on another. Our good is, con is contingent solely on our own doing our own work. Solely on doing our own work. That's why when we possess something great with inside of us and we try to share it with another, many times they don't believe us. And it's okay. It's not our job to convert anybody. It's one of the things I love about this teaching when I found it. I thought, you know, I think I could be a minister in that teaching. I don't have to convert anybody. But I must convert myself. I must convert my own awareness and consciousness. And that takes time because I've got a lot of things going on in that head of mine sometimes that aren't necessarily lined up with the best idea. And I, I share that with you because it is a journey. It's a process. And it's a process of clarity. And it's important for all of us to support one another while we're in that. There's another interesting thing that happened, how omens show up, I wanted to share with you. Uh, a week ago, I was looking for readings, and I pick out readings each week that I think fit with what we're doing. And so I was standing in my living room, and we have books on the bookcase, and, I, I, and this Art of Pilgrimage, I've never even looked in it. I bought it at the recommendation of a friend probably three, four years ago. And I said, you know, I should peek in that book. And I opened the book up, and there's some wonderful things in here that we've been sharing. But here's a story I want to share with you. <clears throat> So, and I should set this up. When Santiago finally gets to the pyramids, he starts digging. He finds a place he thinks is appropriate based on a, a sign that's there. He starts digging in the sand. And as he's digging in the sand, some more armed individuals show up. <laughs> and they ask him what he's doing. He says, and he won't tell them. So once again, he gets roughed up. They beat him up. They go through his bags. They look for things. They take the piece of gold that the alchemist had given him, and he's broke again, and he's battered, and he's bloody, and finally says, I'm looking for treasure. And they, they, and they just leave him there in the sand, and they, they ride away. And then one of the, one of the um, thieves comes back on his horse, and he says, look, as he's laying there, he says, you're not going to die. He said, you live, and you'll learn that a man shouldn't be so stupid. Because he tells him that he's seeking treasure because of this dream he'd had. He said, two years ago, right here on this spot, I had a recurrent dream too. This is the bandit speaking. I dreamed that I should travel to the fields of Spain and look for a ruined church where shepherds and their sheep slept. 
In my dream, there was a sycamore growing out of the ruins of the sacristy, and I was told that if I dug at the roots of the sycamore, I would find a, a hidden treasure. But I'm not so stupid as to cross an entire desert just because of a recurrent dream. And then, and they disappeared. And the boy stood up shakily and looked once more at the pyramids. He seemed to laugh. They seemed to laugh at him, and he laughed back. His heart was bursting with joy because now he knew where his treasure was. So if you, so if you read this book. He starts out in the first few pages under the sycamore tree in the sacristy with the open the church that's decaying and the roof is open. Right where he started was where his treasure was. But he had to make the journey. See, it's really about the consciousness that has to be there because to, to have the, the, the treasure without the consciousness to hold it, you can't hold it. So he had to go through the learning. He had to be seasoned by life. He had to learn to listen deeply. He had to learn to listen to, to the, not only the, the, the earthly, but the mystical. To have one foot in both. See, our teaching stands on the love and the law. We provide the love. We provide the passion. And the law always says yes to whatever we're, we're giving it, whatever we're feeding it. That's why it's so important to be mindful of our thought tendency. If our thought tendency is that life doesn't work, the only thing the law can do is support us in that. Life doesn't work. And that's what we're nour nourishing the soul of the world with. So here's a story. I'm going through my living room, pull this book off, and I'm reading this book now, and this is just random little stories. Long ago in the medieval village of Krakow in what is now Poland, there lived a poor and pious old rabbi named Isaac, son of Jekyll. And one night Isaac was called by a dream. The dream told him to make the journey to Prague, many days' arduous travel away. There beneath the great sprawl of the bridge that led to the royal castle, he would find a treasure trove of gold that would change his life. At first he shrugged it off, pretending that he didn't believe in dreams. But when he had the same dream the next night, and then a third time, Isaac decided that he had better heed the call and make the journey. Several nights later he arrived in Prague and discovered the bridge, but was dismayed to see it guarded by soldiers. The rabbi felt thwarted that he couldn't immediately dig for his fortune under the bridge, so he lingered helplessly. A, a rain began to fall. Up and down the riverbank he prowled until he stopped by the captain of the guard who asked if he had lost something. The rabbi said no, but that he had come a long way to find something. And then he revealed his dream about the hidden cache of gold beneath the bridge. Gold, the captain blurted out. He couldn't keep himself from laughing. That admonished the rabbi for believing in dreams. What reasonable man takes him seriously, he asked. As a matter of fact, I heard a voice call out in an absurd dream just a few nights ago, urging me to take a journey to Krakow and visit a rabbi, Isaac, son of Jekyll. The voice told me to look in the recesses behind the stove where I would find a gold treasure. Shaking his head in disbelief, the captain warned the rabbi about the sin of gullibility and went back to his post. Rabbi Isaac hurried home and once inside, searched behind his stove and there found the treasure that ended his poverty and did indeed change his life. So I'm not saying Paulo Coelho read this ancient Polish story, but I think he probably stumbled across it at some point in time in setting up the, 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 the theme and the, and the storyline for his, his book. But the, both of these stories, stories that are important, our treasure is here right now. Wherever it is, whatever, wherever we need to dig, it's right here where we need to dig. It's in this moment, each one of us. And to be reminded of that, and, and wherever you are in this, the resources, everything necessary for you to move forward effectively is here now. It's just starting to, to extract them from the environment and listen deeply and ask yourself, is this, is this where I should be moving? Is this the direction that I should be going in? So let's, let's pray ourselves into this awareness in a deep and wonderful way. And so what I know is that 
there is one power and one presence, one infinite divine intelligence, that we are the soul of the infinite. We are the soul of the one. That each person, we celebrate each person's success this week. If there's forgiveness work to do, let us do it. Let us forgive and, and forgive quickly. Let us open ourselves to the possibilities, to the unlimited potential, to live in the awe and the wonder, to step into the mystery of life and understand that as we affirm the highest and best good for ourselves, that the universe in every way is conspiring in this moment. And so I know that. As our ushers come forward, I just give thanks this day for the blessings, the opportunity to share, to be of service, to show up bright and willing in a way creative and free, to speak our truth, to declare and affirm our knowing, and to allow that to work for us, in us and through us. So I just give thanks this day for all the blessings, the continued blessings, the wonder and the beauty, the possibility. I just give thanks. I give thanks for all the children that come on Sundays, for all the young parents that are here on these Sundays, for all of the moms and dads and grandparents that join us. I'm so blessed and appreciative of this community and that we are a, a spiritual family, a spiritual home for so many. I give thanks for our musicians, the love and the support that has been so readily available on my journey. And I just give thanks. With great gratitude and appreciation, I release these words, and together we say, and so it is.